Um, so today I want to talk about something that's very simple. I want to talk about simple obedience. All right? Simple obedience. I had a whole different sermon series already ready to go, and I, I got up in a, in a tree on Tuesday, or, or maybe it was Wednesday. No, no, it wasn't Wednesday. It would have been Monday or Tuesday. And I thought I was working on something else, and God says, no, this is what we're going to talk about this, this, this month. We're going to spend a whole month talking about obedience. So excited, right? Mission team's like, yes, we're leaving on, you know, Okay, so no, so obedience is the act of submitting to the command of an authority. But this is the definition. Obedience is an act of submitting to the command of an authority. It's the compliance to the demands of someone over us. So this is an area in America, especially in America, where we struggle with uh, the authority, having authorities over us. You don't have to look very far to see the struggle in the school systems and how students are treating their teachers. And a teacher is yet an authority over the student, and yet students act so disrespectful to their teachers. You see it all over our nation and children and how they treat their parents. We see it everywhere. We see how people and Americans treat soldiers and police officers and people who are sworn to protect us. So obedience is an act. It's something that I do. It's not just something I say. It's an act. It's an act of submitting to the command of an authority. So I want to talk about three things that obedience requires. So today we're going to spend our time talking about three areas of obedience. One, it requires humility. Humility, you will not obey anyone you have not placed yourself under, like placed before you, I mean. So humility is to place others before yourself. So you will not find yourself in obedience to someone if you haven't put them before yourself. Okay? And I'll, I'm going to go deeper into this, but that's the first thing. To, you're not going to obey someone that you, didn't, you don't put before yourself. Secondly, you're not going to um, um, obey them if, if you haven't submitted yourself. So submission is you will not obey whom you've not placed yourself under. So if you've not placed yourself, uh, placed them before you or you haven't, and you haven't placed yourself under them, you're not going to obey them. And the last is faith. Obedience requires faith. You will not obey the one you do not trust in. If I don't trust, if I haven't placed my trust in someone, my obedience only goes to a certain, certain degree. Do you guys, you guys follow? Yeah, you're going to find some obedient acts when you don't really trust someone. And we're going to kind of dive into some of those waters. But I want you to see these three areas are the areas that we're going to spend our time focusing on today. Humility, submission, and faith. So we know what obedience is, but now we're going to look at each one of these a little bit further. So obedience requires humility, all right? Humility. You will, you will not obey anyone you've not placed before yourself, okay? So to be truly humble, you're going to have to place others before yourself. So look at this, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 11 to see humility in act. So the first thing that I want you to see is this. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. You see the word selfish? Selfish and humility can't go together. Let nothing, and, and, and what does nothing cover? Nothing covers, right? Let nothing. So there's nothing that I do that should have selfish ambition tied to it. Have you guys ever thought about how hard that is? Right? Isn't that pretty hard? It's easy to say, really hard to do, right? Because we are so selfish. We are so very selfish by nature. We have made everything about us. In your marriage, have you made the marriage about you and what you want, your desires? We are so selfish by, by, by human nature. And so he says, 
Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. What would your life look like if you esteemed others better than yourself? What would your life look like if you put others before you? What would your marriage look like if you put your spouse before yourself? Huh? I didn't hear you. What? I think about that. Right? Is that true? Right? Think about it. How, how, many, how many of the, the problems in your life would actually be resolved if you actually put the other one in front of yourself? If you put them before you, instead of living a selfish life, you put someone in front of you. He says, let each of you look not out only for your own interest, but also the interest of others. Man, <laughs> I, we are so self-centered. I, I think men can be the most selfish of all. I remember so long, <laughs> amen, all right, so... <laughs> We, we, we deserve that. Us men deserve that full-heartedly. I'm, I, I know it. Um, I, I, I thought a long time ago, and I was remembering, you know, in, a, in our early marriage, um, Barbara and I, you know, I, we'd go like on a date before we started having children and everything like that, and we had more time. Um, but every time we would go to the movies, I, I was like, oh, we're going to go eat here, and we're going to go do this, right? And I, I never, never even thought, like, what do you want to watch? What do you want to eat? I'm just over here making all these plans and all these things. Oh, we're doing this and we're doing that and we're doing this and we're going to go golfing. Do you even like to golf? I mean, we're terrible at it, so we stopped doing that. But um, we, what, what, well, you know how I got into hunting was through golf. I spent more times in the woods looking for the ball and decided, well, this is where I really want to be. He goes on in this verse and he says, let this mind be in you. So what he's telling us is he said, this is the mind you need to have. So first, don't let nothing be done out of selfishness. It ain't about you. When, the moment that you make life not about you and about others, you found humility. You hear me on that? He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. So you hear that? Who being in the form of God. So Jesus came down. He, he is the Son of God. He's in the form of God. He could have came down and said, I'm Jesus, the Son of God. Bow down. He, he didn't come like that. He came lowly in nature. He says he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So what he's saying is, I'm going to make sure that when I go down there and I present myself, I don't make a big deal about trying to be equal with God. I'm going to put on humility. He says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He could have came and said, I'm the king. He could have came down on a cloud. He could have came down on this white horse coming down. He could have had us. I mean, Jesus could have done so many things to make it so impossible to miss who he was, right? He could have came down with a sword and everyone who didn't bow, he just waves that sword and you vanish. Jesus could have done all that, but he didn't. He, he made himself of no reputation, being born in a manger, taking on the form of a bond servant. That's a nice word for slavery. He made himself a slave. And coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of men, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He became obedient to the point of death. I started thinking about this. Jesus becoming obedient. Who did Jesus place before himself in becoming obedient? I want you to think about this. The first verses was talking about putting others before yourself and then having the same mind of Christ who was obedient to the point of death. So who did he place before himself? All of us. 
Every one of us sitting here and all the people who are not sitting here, every single human being of the past, present, and those who are going to come, he put everyone in front of himself. Jesus put everyone in front of himself. Everyone. He put you in front of his own wants and needs. He put you first. And he became obedient all the way to death. And we can't even put our spouses before ourselves. We can't put our teachers before ourselves or our students before ourselves. We can't put our bosses before ourselves. We live in such a self-centered, conceited, arrogant, pride-filled world. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name to which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those of earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, when you think about this, what he's saying is this. The only way up is when you're down. I mean, the, so what, G, what, what the Father is saying is, through the Word of God here is this. Because Jesus humbled himself, put everyone else before himself, lowered himself to no reputation, lowered himself and put everyone else above, he's serving all. Because Jesus did that, then the Father lifted him up. The only way to be lifted up is if you're down. Because if you've lifted yourself, there's no place to take you. I'm going to say that again in case we missed it. The only way to be lifted up, because you think about it, who's the one lifting up? God. The only way to be lifted up by God is when you're down. Because if you've lifted yourself up, there's nowhere to take you. Isn't that something? Huh? Isn't that something? So if you will place others before yourself, then God will lift you up. And I don't know about you, but I would far rather be lifted up by God than by myself or anyone else. All right, so humility. You'll not obey anyone. You have not placed yourself or placed before yourself. Now let's look at, at submission. In James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, God resists the proud. Just like we just looked at, anyone who's self-centered, that is a proud, that is being prideful. So James says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God resists. So you can find yourself in, in a problem uh, where God is resisting you, pushing you. He's, he's, uh, you and him are not on the same page. You're, he is not for those who are. He, in fact, the word of God even goes all the way to the point of saying pride goes or destruction comes to those who are prideful. Pride goes before the fall. In, in other words, when I live this self-centered, pride-filled life, I'm leading myself to destruction. See, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, you see the word therefore is a concluding to what you've read. So he's making a statement. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Therefore, submit to God. And so here's the deal is I need to understand that if I'm, if I'm going to obey God, I have to be able to submit to him. It's easier said than done. It's a lot easier to say, God, I submit to you than actually submitting to God, because we have a lot of things in our own life that we want to do our own way. Because do you understand what it means to actually submit? So a great analogy that I want to bring up is actually in Luke chapter 7. It's about the centurion. Now, a little bit about centurions. Um, a centurion is an officer, and, and, and where they got their name was because they typically would command a hundred men. So this one officer in the military was in command of a hundred soldiers. So he's a big deal. And they were great warriors. They were trained, highly skilled in combat. 
So you have the centurion. Okay, He's a Gentile, not a Jew, because the Jews were the ones that, that were captured by the Romans. So this isn't a Jewish man. This is a Gentile man. And so um, not only that, but he would also be a walking representation to all of the Jews of their defeat to him. Remember, he's a Roman. The Romans defeated them, right? So they've been defeated by them. So every time a Jew would see a Roman soldier, they're just reminded that they were defeated. It'd be like in a football game, if you know the, the, the other schools, they, 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 you travel to each other's schools, right? Well, what happens if you got defeated by a school and then they came that whole next week and took classes with you? Every time you saw them, you would be reminded of the game you lost. So here's a Roman. I'm, I'm wanting to set the stage a little bit with this, is that he, the, the Roman soldiers were not popular. They weren't Jewish. In fact, they, they didn't believe in the God of the Jews. They were what we would call polytheistic. That means that they believed in multiple gods. They had all different kinds of gods that they were praying to. Sometimes if they, they got desperate enough, they might pray to the Jewish God, but they, did, they, they worshiped all different kinds of gods. And so what happened is they're everything. They stood for everything that the Jews didn't. That's the scenario. And here, this, this, this centurion had a, had a servant of his that had gotten sick, really sick, to the point of death. And he heard about Jesus, and he heard all the things. And here's what's amazing. He was hearing about Jesus. How do you hear about Jesus? How would, how would the centurion soldier know all of these things if it wasn't being talked about? Right? Can you, and, 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 and I know that this isn't even dealing with obedience here, but can you imagine what the world would be like if all the Christians couldn't stop talking about Jesus? Instead of the gossip and the backbiting and the critical spirits that we all can sometimes carry and all of our complaining attitudes, what if we were constantly talking about Jesus? Maybe more people would be attracted to Jesus because we can't stop talking about the God who changed your life. So he's hearing of all the things. Did you hear that Jesus did this and Jesus did that? So he hears all of the things that are surrounding this Jesus now, he knows that he's not a Jew. He knows he's not popular. He knows that they don't like him. So here's what's amazing. He reaches out to Jesus and asks, he sends some Jews, some people to go to Jesus and see if Jesus will come heal. As Jesus is making his way to his house, here's what the centurion says. He was not far from the house. This is Jesus. When the centurion sent friends to him saying this, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's a pretty, that's a pretty bold statement. <laughs> that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Hmm. See, they would have been, most centurions would have been very arrogant and very prideful. They were great soldiers with great power. And he says, I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Check this out. I mean, he understands how authority works. He says, just say the word. He, 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 he gets who Jesus is, and he says, you just say the word and he'll be healed. You don't need to come into my house. You don't need to come in and put on a show. You just say healed, and he's healed. We know who you are. Is that the same Jesus that you and me are singing about? The one that all he needs to do is say the word and it's done? That's what our worship service should be like, right? God, you just say the word, and I know that you're going to make everything. You just say the word, and it's going to happen. So he says, don't worry about coming over to my house. And then he says in this, verse 8, for I myself am a man under authority. And yet he was a centurion who had many under him. But he says, I am a man under authority with soldiers then under me. And I tell one, go, and he goes. And I tell that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And he turned to the crowd following him and says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. 
with an entire nation waiting for the Messiah, they couldn't see the Messiah. An entire nation that sang songs and had all kinds of scriptures waiting for the Messiah couldn't recognize him when he was right in front of their face. And Jesus is now saying, man, I haven't found this much faith anywhere in all of Israel. Why was he making a big deal out of this man's faith? The, big, the man was making a big deal about Jesus' authority. See, obedience requires submission. You will not obey the one you've not placed yourself under. What if God requires of your life something that you don't want to give? Hmm? See, there's a reason why I'm going to keep coming back to this simple concept of simple obedience. God has a plan for your life, and not every piece of that plan, you're not going to enjoy every moment of that plan. There's definitely some plans There's parts of God's plan for our life that was not a thrill to us at all. One, I'm putting God before me. And then as God put people before himself, then I'm to put others before me. God first, others second, me third. Right? God first, others second, me third. Now I understand that I have put them before me. Now, God, I want to submit under your authority. What do you want with me? I want to follow you. Well, that takes us into the last part of this, and that's by faith. Obedience requires faith. You will not obey the one you do not trust. This is a lot Again, it's, it's the same as these others. It's a lot easier to say this than to actually do this because we live in a, a world where it's really hard for us to trust somebody else. Anybody have any trust issues here? Maybe somebody mistreated you in your life and you're like, I just have a hard time trusting people, right? How many have a little hard time trusting others, all right? So sometimes things happen in our life, and, and then we start putting up walls. Any of you guys ever build some of those walls that, you know, like somebody who might be a really great person wants to come into your life, and they have to, like, become a, a ninja warrior to get over those walls, you know, trying to find a way in, you know, parkour, you know, they have to something, you know, like, do you want, can I just get a helicopter and be dropped in, and then you're like, I'm going to just drop right in, and oh, they have an invisible one right on the top. You can't get in, Right? But we do the same thing with God, don't we? We do the same thing with God. God, I trust you when things are good, but the moment things are looking a little shaky, a little dicey right now, I got my own plan. I'm doing my own thing. Come on, come on, right? You get a little bit of bad news and you took back over. You're like, Jesus, take the wheel. Never mind. Get out of the way. What we like to do is Jesus take the wheel while we're still driving. I'm going to hold the wheel. If something bad, I'm just going to, you just move me over. But I'm I'm not letting go of this wheel. Come on now. Right? So, So it says this. So obedience requires faith, right? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which to receive as an inheritance as he went out not knowing where he was going, Hebrews 11.8. This is such an amazing story. By faith, Abraham obeyed. You see that? I underlined it. Make sure that you can see it, right? By faith, Abraham obeyed. You'll not obey the one you don't. So I want you to think about this in everything. In leadership, you'll not truly be obedient to your boss your husband, your pastor, your parent, if you don't trust them. If you don't trust them, you may do the things that you, you know, like, okay, I can see the results of this. If I do that, I'm going to get a raise, but I really don't respect my boss. I'm, and, and so when it came, if it really comes to push to shove, you ain't going to do, you're not going to be fully obedient because you don't trust them. Right? Some of you maybe found yourself in a place where, where, where you have a boss that you don't really trust. Then you're not really going to be able to be submissive to them, are you? You you, you do it to a certain level, to a certain degree, to a certain point. 
You can't truly follow someone, including God, without humbling yourself and submitting. But all of that also requires trust. So I want to ask you a really tough question. Do you really trust God? I mean, do you really trust Him? Do you trust God with your marriage? Do you trust God with your kids? Do you trust God with your finances? That's a lot harder question than what meets the eye. To trust God and to fully trust Him is, is it's hard to trust anyone else. Isn't it? Isn't it really hard to just really trust God? I mean, think about this. I had a friend come and tell me this week, you know, when you're, when you're worrying, that worry comes from a lack of trust. So if we're worrying about stuff... Are we really trusting? Huh? Huh? Are we really trusting? So I'm all stressed out. Am I really trusting? Hey, we're, we're arguing in our life right now. Our relationship's in a heart. Am I trusting God? Do I, am I trusting Him? Our finances are this. Am I trusting God? And that is so hard to do. It's easy to trust myself. I, it's easy for me to trust myself because at the end of the day, I can rely on myself or not. I'll fall or stand by what me. But I can't always see God. Come on, right? Sometimes I can't see you right now. I don't know if you're going to. I know that you can't catch me. Will you catch me? God, I know you can split the Red Sea, but I don't know if you will do it for me. You see? So I love the story of Abraham 12.1. It says, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And you also see right above it in Hebrews where it's talking about, you know, um, that he went to a place he didn't know. Was G- G- uh, God, when he said go, he didn't give him Google Maps address. I mean, sometimes when we look at the Bible, we forget the real scenario here. There wasn't Facebook yet. I know it's hard for you to imagine a time without Facebook, but there wasn't Facebook There wasn't even this snail mail. There wasn't even a dial-up. When he left his father's house, he's not going to get to talk to his father again. When he packed up his stuff and left, he knew that the greatest possibility was, I will never see them on this side of heaven again. See, obedience sounds easy when we read about it, but can you put yourself in Abraham's situation? God speaks to him. He's excited. God's speaking to me. And then God tells him to do something that really is hard. I want you to go. I want you to leave everything you've ever known. I want you to leave your family here, and I need you to pack up your little family, and you pack up your little bit of animals and your little stuff here, and I need you to go to a place I'm going to show you, and you don't know where you're going. How many of us would have said, okay, God, I want to follow you, and I'm going to continue to worship you, but I'm just going to do that right here. How many of us in our lives have said no to God because we couldn't see where that looked like on the other side? How many people have walked away from a calling in their life? God called them to do something, and they said, God, I just can't see how that works out, so I'm saying no. God, I love you, but I'm going to... Guys, simple obedience is just saying yes, and I can't see it. In fact, simple obedience goes on so far that it can just outright come out blind, blind faith. (laughs) When I look at Abraham and how he packed up everything... He, he left everything behind. He was obedient. He just went. God says, I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. 
Can you imagine how difficult that would be? It's not like there's, God didn't just you know, draw out a map and say, you know, here's the first part of the map. It was just, go to where I'm going to show you. Okay. So you're packed up and you're like, everybody's looking at you. Like I'm, I picture myself as Abraham there for a moment. Like everybody's looking at you, Lot, your wife, you know, everyone. They're all packed up going, yeah, you're taking us away from our family. Where are we going? And he's like, be patient. I'm just waiting for the Lord. God, where are you at? Which way? I, I, and then you're kind of looking over here. And Hey, guys. Uh, this way. We're going there, right? I mean, can you imagine, though, being in that moment, in, in that situation, and you can't yet see what it looks like yet, right? I, I know that we're going, but I don't know what it looks like. And everybody wants to know, what does it look like? Can you imagine being Abraham's wife? So God said, what? Yeah, we're packing up everything. We're leaving your mom and your dad and my mom and my dad, and we're just hitting it. We're going, we're hitting the road. Yep. Where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to need a little bit more information before we uh, pack up all of our bags, right? Exactly. So what I'm wanting to, but here's the thing. Abraham, God looked and wanted to make an, he, he says, I'm going to build you into this nation. He turns around and he goes, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. I'm going to, because you're going to be obedient and you're just going to do what I tell you to do when I say to do it, I'm going to turn you into something amazing. Check this out. The hardest test he ever had was, came in 10 chapters later, Genesis 22. God tested Abraham to see what his obedience was like. And he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Now here's the deal. This is very big. This is the first book of the Bible. In that culture, they, they had lots of the worship that they had for the false gods. They would sacrifice their children to get favor from their gods. Now, this is not who our God is, but he did test them. I want you to go do this. And you know, the son, the son was sitting there, and he's like, uh, I don't see a lamb. And you know what Abraham said? God will provide. At the last possible moment, Isaac is on the altar and he's pulling out this knife and he is about to do what God, and it even goes back and it says that the reason he did that is that he believed that God would bring him back from the dead. Like he believed God. That is, when I look at this, I'm like, Abraham, man, he didn't have a lot of evidence. I have the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation to build a faith on. I have all of that, and he didn't have but 10 chapters of Genesis, and it wasn't even written yet. I mean, and he believed God. We have the whole Bible, and we still struggle believing God. And as he was about to sacrifice his son, the last moment the Lord provided a ram caught in the bushes. He said, don't touch the boy. And he sees this ram and he knew that God provided. You see, simple obedience is often blind. And I think about that a lot, that statement, blind. Blind, I can't see. I, I can't see. So God says, I want you to do this. And I'm like, God, I can't see where we're going. God, I don't see the map. I don't see the direction. God, I, I don't, I, ha, where are we going? Well, I'll show you. Okay, uh, when? I'll tell you about that too. Oh, okay, um, why? I'll tell you about that later. We have all these questions and we want all the answers before we ever take a step towards God. And he's saying, listen, I, when I say go, I want you to go. I will show you everything you need, but I need to teach you how to trust me. And if we sometimes think about a lot of the things that God has asked us to do, it was for the point of helping you learn how to trust him. How many things that we've had to do in our life and the, and the tests in our life get harder, not easier? 
And, he, and he, God keeps bringing us to these, these forks in the road to, 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 to help us condition ourselves to trust him. Trust him. I do the what even when I don't understand the why. That's hard for me. I, I like to know the purpose of things, so I ask why all the time. Why? 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 I want to know the why before I do the what. And what, what simple obedience is is doing the what even when I don't know the why the when, or the where, or even sometimes the how. God, how are we going to do this? Oh, don't worry about that. I simply do it because God says so. I hope that that's something that you can memorize. If God says it, then I just do it. If God says it, then just do it. So, so guys, we're, going to, this, we're on the last slide. Look at this. We're on the last slide, right here, last slide. Listen to this, James 1 says this, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. See, here's the problem with a lot of the American church today is we are really good at hearing, not very good at doing. It makes us look like hypocrites a lot. We talk a good game, but we don't live a good life. So he says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But a man who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all he does. So I'm going to give you some very practical, straight up things that the Bible and the New Testament really hit on, and we're going to test our obedience. You guys ready to test your obedience? You guys ready for a test? Pop quiz, hot shot, let's go! Right? Like, oh. Okay, you guys ready? Because, I mean, here's, and guys, I'm going to go so far this month into obedience. I'm going to show you in God's Word where it's the highest form of worship. We think singing is. It's not. Singing is great if it's coming from an obedient heart. Obedience is the highest form of worship. I'm going to teach you that obedience is better than sacrifice. Not because I say it, but because God's Word says it. I'm wanting you to under, understand this obedience thing is a pillar. It shows God that you love Him. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. John 14, 21. I won't get into that right now, but here's the first one. Husbands, you love your wife. That is a command of God, not a request of God. Your assignment as a husband is to love your life, even if she's unlovable. Because there's not a condition. When God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that's his demand. That's his command. He says, love your wife. What does that look like? Love is patient. Love is kind. We haven't even got to, like, there's ten of them, guys. We're not even doing good on the first one. Being patient. Where's all the husbands? Are they all hiding? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. One of it, it says it does not keep record of wrongs. You want to know what love is? Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Husbands, you love your wife. That's simple obedience. Not because she deserves it, but because God said so. I love her because God said so. Even when she's unlovable in the moment. Okay? All right. Wives, you're to respect your husband even when he's unrespectable. You see, you respect him not because he deserves it. You respect him simply because God said so. You see, we're not talking about being obedient to the, to the husband or, or to the wife or to this. We're talking about being obedient first and foremost to God. God says, husband, you love your wife. Wife, you respect your husband. And if you can't, don't get married. You don't have to. Paul says, I'm trying to save you from all kinds of trouble. Don't do it. Paul says, don't do it. But if you do, then you need to understand what you're walking into. You hearing me, kids? 
Where's all the boys that are liking my girls? Just, I'm wanting you to hear it. All right. All right. I'm just, I'm just saying. If you don't love Jesus more than her, I'm going to say no when you ask for her hand. I'm just telling you right now. All right. Children, you are to honor your parents even if they're hypocritical or even if they're unhonorable. The Bible says, kids, you are to honor thy mother and thy father. Not because they deserve it, but because God says so. You see simple obedience? God, you said it, I'm doing it. I'm going to honor my mom. I'm going to honor my dad, even when I don't agree. But kids, you were just clapping when I was talking about husbands and wives and parents. <laughs> One kid is going to now give God some praise about honoring a parent? You can come on over to my house later. I, I got a steak. I'm going to cook you a steak to cook you a steak. All right. Too late. Too late. God says that we are to forgive one another. It's not a request. In fact, Jesus goes on so much. He says, you forgive as I forgave you. The same way God forgives you, you are commanded, not suggested, commanded by God to forgive others in the same exact way. Why do I forgive others? Not because they deserve it. Because God said so. Simple obedience says, I'm going to forgive even when I don't want to because God told me to. Come on. How are we doing on our test so far? Just, just, okay. We give. I'm going to take up an offering in just a moment. I can, if I can get my ushers to come forward now. I'm just kidding. We don't do that. Um, we give God the best of the first fruits of our wages. Whether you believe in tithing or not tithing or giving, or it doesn't matter. The point is, is throughout the entire Bible, we are called by God and commanded by God to be generous. God gave you life. <laughs> he gave you breath. He gave you a home. He gave you an ability to have a job. And we sit there and say, God, I don't have time. I don't, I don't want to give back to you. God gave us everything that we have, and then we don't give back. That is greed. If you get upset for a preacher talking about money, it's because you have greed in your life. I want you to think about everything that God has given us. Why wouldn't we want to give back to God who gave us everything. And you don't have to give to living water. Give to whoever you want to give to. Go give to something. But man, what we often do is this. God, after I pay all of my bills and I get all the things that I want and all the times that we want to eat out and all the movies that I'm going to rent, whatever's left, God, I'll give you. So what we do is we say, God, I'm going to give you the leftovers. What if we said, God, I want to give you the best of the first, before I pay a single bill, before I do anything else, God, I'm giving you what I want you to have from my heart. God didn't make a suggestion to give. It was commanded. If you get in the Old Testament, it gets pretty, just saying. All right. We share our faith. A lot of people, we, we are really good at inviting people to church. We're really bad at inviting them to Jesus. It's a lot easier to say, well, I'm going to have the pastor do it for me. What if you started sharing Jesus with people? What if you started sharing your story of how he changed your life? No one can argue. Somebody can argue with my sermon, but you know what? They can't. A life changed. They can't argue with your life changed. When they know you before B.C., before Christ, and then after his death, A.D., they know Oh, well, there's something happened in your life. I want what you got. That's powerful. We read our Bibles and pray. Never has there been a time in history more than now where we have illiterate Christians because we don't take the time to read our Bibles and pray. All we eat is what we get here. The Bible says, you know, I know, I understand that my, my part in this is that I'm to feed his sheep, right? That's, I, I'm here to feed. But that's, if you're only eating one time a week, what would happen if you only ate one meal for an entire week? Because you can't say, you know, 
This is, you know, the, you, you didn't get three meals here. You might have gotten breakfast and lunch, right? If you only had a breakfast and lunch one time a week, nourishment-wise, what would you be like next Saturday? And yet, we don't take the time to meet with God on a daily basis. All right. Uh, guys, this is only just a few. I mean, I didn't have enough slides or enough time because we're already past noon, and I'm not sorry for that. Are you guys sorry about being here past noon? Yeah. All right. I'll tell you what, we could go like to the old days where like, I got to preach for two hours. I just like, all right, I'm gonna do, we're going to start doing some tag team preaching. When I get tired, I'm going to like, come on, Paul, high five, and then he'll come up here and he'll preach for an hour. We'll just be here all day long. Make sure you record the game. So, the reason why everybody's still sitting here is it's not a noon game. They're like, well, listen, if it's a noon game, I'm so glad that they don't have noon games anymore, the Chiefs, except for like one, because everybody would be like, Daniel, I'm not coming to Sunday because you don't get done by noon. There's more important stuff to do right now. So, I, <laughs> so, so guys, I want you to bow your heads this morning. I want you to, I want us to, to, set the stage for this entire month when, as we're going to talk more and more about what does it mean to live an obedient life to God? As you... I'm not a perfect husband. Just ask my wife. I'm not a perfect father. You can ask my children. But guys, I can tell you this. I want to be obedient to God. I want to be the kind of husband that God tells me to be. I want to be the kind of father that God tells me to be. Guys, if we could come to a place of where we are so hungry to God and say, God, teach me how to be a better husband. God, teach me how to be a better father. God, teach me to be a better friend. God, teach me. I want to, I want to be obedient to you and your word. I want to be obedient in every area of life. God, help me to be forgiving like you command. God, I want to be a good kid. You see, I'm a child of God. I want to make my daddy proud. My heavenly father, I want to make him proud. More than, more than anything, that's why I always say, what I want to hear from my father in heaven when I die is well done. That's what I want to hear. And so when it comes to me and, and I start thinking about this, man, I just want to be obedient to God. I want to be one of those that I'm not just doing it so that I get a pat on the back. I want to be truly obedient to God. I want to do what he tells me to do. I want to be the kind of husband that he tells me to be. I want to be the father that he wants me to be. I want to be the kind of pastor he wants me to be. I just want to do what he tells me to do. What would your life look like if that was your heart? What kind of a husband or wife or parent or even a child under a parent? What would that look like if you just wanted to obey God and His Word? What would your finances look? What would change in your life today? If you looked at just a few things I put down, what would change if your heart was, God, I just want to obey. You say it, I'm doing it. What if we got to the place, God, when your Word says it, I do it. Wow, wouldn't it change everything? It would change the kind of employee that you are. It would change the kind of boss you are. It would change the kind of husband or wife you are or parent or child under a parent. It would change the kind of neighbor you would be. So I want to challenge us today. I don't want to, you to, to, to feel like I'm breaking you down. I want to make a challenge that we try something. All of us try something. Let's try simple obedience for an entire month. When we see something in God's word say for us, and we know, I'm not talking about like, you know, killing your neighbor or, you know, don't, don't take the scriptures like that. You know, don't, let's not do that. But when we start reading about husbands to their wives and wives to their husbands and, and parents to their children and children to their parents, let's adopt God, you say it, and I'm going to do it. And it starts today. 
the challenge starts today. God, I want to just be simply obedient to you. This is October 1st. God, for the next 31 days, I'm just going to obey you. And if I don't know what your word says, I'm going to ask somebody, what does the Bible say on this? Oh, I need to forgive. I'm going to forgive. Don't be hearers only. Today, let's accept the challenge to say, today, God, I'm just going to simply be obedient. And maybe God is showing you some areas right now where you need to start. Guys, the altar's open. You don't have to come here to make a decision. But if God is telling you to move your feet, be obedient. How many times do we stay seated because we're nervous of somebody else looking at us? Who cares? If the king's telling you to get up and come kneel at the altar, then you get up and kneel at the altar. If God is showing you some things that you need to lay down, maybe there's some things in your life right now that's keeping you from obedience. Maybe there's some things that God is saying, I need you to get that out of your life. Come and lay it down at the altar right now. Come. See, you know what God's telling you to do. You know what God's telling you to lay down. You know what God's telling you to start doing that you haven't been doing. And this is that moment to respond and say, God, I'm in. I'm all in. All. I'm all in. Maybe you need to lay down pornography. Maybe you need to lay down disrespect. Maybe you need to lay down greed or selfishness. Or maybe you need to lay down unforgiveness. Maybe there's some things that God's saying, you need to get that out of the way so that you can truly be obedient. Maybe this is the day you as a father say, you know what, I've got to pick up being the man of the house, a true man of God. That starts today. Why not start today? Maybe as a wife, God is telling you that you need to come to a place in your life and follow the husband that he's given you. 